0: Walter, did you ever go see Dallas home in, in concert? First Baptist Church, Jackson, Alabama. Did he sing all those? I mean, was it back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's—I uh, I just remember everything about it. I really do. He's—I wore that cassette tape out. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. How do you find it now? do. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great, isn't it? Many of you don't know who Dallas Home is. It used to be called Dallas Home and Praise, it was, uh, but it was great. I'm telling you that uh, that one he did was just absolutely one of the most worshipful uh, cassettes or eight tracks, <laughs> anyway that I'd ever heard. It's just fantastic. God's good, isn't he? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Book of Ephesians. And uh, Ephesians chapter 3, we, we've gone through part of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2. And I'm using one phrase, you'll see that phrase listed in your Bible under sermon title. It's part of verse 2, and that's really what we're going to focus on today. Um, but I want to read several verses here in chapter 3, and then several verses in chapter four. Uh, chapter um, before I read chapter 3 beginning at verse 1, it's interesting to me, just, <clears throat> just for a minute, look at the contrast um, of chapter 2 verse 1 and then the end of the chapter. Let me just read verse 1, chapter 2 verse 1. I know you can read it for yourself, but let me read God's Word. It says, and it's talking about the condition of man... Um, We talked about this two or three weeks ago, you know. uh, Dead in sin, depraved, blind, all these terms. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you were, past tense, okay. Those of us that are saved, we were saved from spiritual death, okay. And the issue here Paul's going to make, he's made it in chapter one, dead people. Can't do anything on their own. So if God, if God doesn't stir your heart by the power of the Word and Spirit, it ain't going to happen. You're, not, you're dead. Dead people don't feel the weight of sin. Uh, those of us that have been saved and made alive, when we do things wrong, what happens? We're convicted because we're alive. We're spiritually alive. And the Spirit of God convicts us when we sin. But when I was dead in sin, I mean, I did things without any conviction whatsoever. It embarrasses me how I lived before I was saved. Do you feel that way sometimes? Maybe you don't. Let me say that again. Were you embarrassed how you lived before you got saved? Thank you. And even though I was only 16 when I got saved, uh, I was talking the other day to somebody about how many times I could have died. I mean, I was in situations I should have never been in. and uh, But God had a plan to save me. So He saved me physically. Sometimes. I got out of a car one time. A guy was racing. And I was scared to death. And so I made him get, get out of the car. Well, he had a wreck. Where I would have been, wouldn't have been pretty. You know, but God saved me physically under... Because one day He was going to save me spiritually. Isn't that awesome? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then you drop down to verse 21 and 22. So that's what we were. Now let's let's look at who we are. In whom... Of course, Christ being, him. the end of verse 20, Christ Himself being the cornerstone, talking about the church, the household of God, the body of Christ, whatever term you want to use. It says, in whom, being in Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we we're joined together. We're being joined together. That's what the church, part of what happens in church life, is God saves us and puts us together, in whom the whole the whole structure being joined together grows. This is we may speak to it in a minute, but it's much like what Peter does in First Peter 2 when he talks about Christ the cornerstone. And us living stones. And God saves us and it's like He's building a structure. And so we're placed as living stones on top of the cornerstone. And there's this... He's not talking about a physical structure. He's talking about a spiritual structure. But that spiritual structure experiences growth when it's combined with others. Interesting thing. The church. So structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him in Christ you also are being built together. So you're being joined together and growing, okay? Uh, being joined together has a terminology of a of um can be medical or it can be a construction but being joined together, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Interesting enough, it's talking about the church grows, right? The church grows as you grow spiritually. That there's spiritual growth in you, and then there, and because we're both the temple, we're I'm I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. That dwells he he dwells in us. He bought us with a price, and we're His. And then we're the temple of God corporately. When we we come together, we're still the temple. And of the living God. And when Paul happens to use the idea of being a temple, a holy temple, he uses what would have been the New Testament word for the holy of holies. It's the word in the Greek language, which not just the temple general. It's the temple holy, the holy of holies. And the inference there is, is you know, for thousands of years, nobody could go meet God's presence except one time a year. And that was the high priest, right? On the Day of Atonement. And if you ever study that, I mean, he had to make sacrifices for himself, a bull, then a goat. The scapegoat would be used. Um, One goat would be killed for the the high priest. Uh, Then he'd take the blood of bulls to represent everybody else. And then he would take the scapegoat and he would cast the sin of Israel and himself on this goat. And they'd send it off into the desert to die. And and all that had to take place, then he could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. But now he's talking about we all, because of what Christ has done, we all are are in God's presence as saved people. We all are, we can approach His presence. We are in the Holy of Holies uh, by nature of having, because of Christ and having the Spirit of God in us. Well then, Paul says, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read down through verse 7, then I'm going to drop down to chapter 4. Now, I know we'll never get to chapter 4, but it's just so profound. Um, And I want to read God's Word with you and to you this morning. Paul says, for this reason, temple, being being joined together, being built together, um, and and like, by the way, being built together, think about that, just that last phrase in, in chapter in verse twenty two, being built together. And that's present tense. I mean the language obviously is translated that way. That's been happening for two thousand years. But it's together. Being built together. That's you and me. That's all of us. That's everybody that has been saved and born again and has said, this is where I want to be a part. Now, some of you may not have physically joined, but this is where you come. So this is the body that you're responsible to. So you're saying, this is where I'm going to be together with other people to grow and build together right here. This is where I'm going to be. And it's because of Christ. and It's because of what He's done for you and separated you. So he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Of course, then he's writing to the church at Ephesus. A Gent- now, there were Jews there. There was a temple there. But primarily the population, obviously, in Asia, that part of Asia, would have been, would have been Gentiles. We know Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. and of course, this is obviously one of his prison epistles. Paul was in prison, not the not the imprisonment where he died, but this is his first Roman imprisonment. and, and he had a lot of liberties, obviously, one of which was he could write inspired writings and have them sent, you know, by carriers. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard, and here's the phrase I used, of the, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Okay, The stewardship of God's grace. Now, which Paul was given. Now, A steward, the word stewardship there is the word house and the word, we might even use the word management but it's the word law, it's the Greek word for law or standards. So God has house rules you could say. Laws for the house given to the church, given to Paul for us. So So now, stewardship of God's grace that Paul had for us, and now we've been given that same truth. So the truth is, you and I now are stewardship, stewards of God's grace. If you're here today and you've been saved by grace, which is the only way to be saved, you are now a steward of that mercy. And see, combined with this are several of the things he's going to mention all throughout the book of Ephesians. This is where, this is why you've been saved and the Bible says you've been set apart and gifted for the building up of the body of Christ. This is where Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 speak to about God gave the church pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That involves all of us. This, this is your responsibility. So, so not only was Paul a steward of God's grace and he communicated it to the church and the believers at Ephesus, you and I are stewards of God's grace because it's been given to us. We, so we are managers. We are house managers of God's mercy and grace. We're the ones that are responsible for it. In our individual ways, we're responsible for dealing with God's grace. Now, when I think about God's grace, let me just stop right here. I could talk about the doctrine of grace is like the battle we've had for thousands of years, well for you know for hundreds of years at least where the Protestant Reformation, you know, uh, an example would be. And I'm not going to deal with this specifically, but it's something to think about. See there's uh, there's those that think let me I'll, here, here's a phrase that that there's there's a world of faith that believes this. That God helps those who help themselves, so to speak. That, that you can get good enough where God will, will then pour out more grace on you. And he, you might even get some of the grace that God gave or the Catholic Church or other people gave to other people. But, but it's like there's this belief that you earn, you merit, and then God will give you a little bit more grace and you merit a little bit more and then finally, you, you can merit salvation, work salvation. That's one that's one side of it. Then the other side of it is that you're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And you have so we're not going to necessarily talk about that. What I want to talk about is the things that the church is doing as stewards of the of the grace of God. I want you. To, we're going to study that in just a minute. What does the church do as because we're stewards of God's grace, what are we supposed to be doing with that as, as a church? Now, we won't get through all of them, but that's what I want to talk about. You know, when you're talking about being saved by works or by grace, I can remember after I got saved, and this has happened to people in this church, but after I got saved, they showed me, um, of course, this was a long time ago, they showed me where I had, they had put my name on a prayer list and this specific group of people were praying that I would be saved. Now, now, just think about this. Um, this is a theological argument in about one minute. But when And, and we've done that here where we kind of had a hit list. And you pray for people, God to save them. And, and, and so, but when you pray for somebody to be saved, now think about how you pray. Maybe you have a family member you've been praying for, a neighbor, whatever it is. When you pray for their salvation, you don't pray, Dear God, help them to merit more favor with you. you don't, I've never heard anybody pray like that. Do you know what you pray for? God, have mercy and may the gospel convict them. You know what I'm saying? You pray for God to act, right? You don't pray for them to act. You pray for God to act. Let me tell you why we do that. Because we're not saved by works. Are we Let me say it, you might want to answer that. we're not saved by works, are we? No. no. And we know that intuitively we know that because we're all sinners saved by grace. We know nobody can merit it. If any, you know Paul makes that argument, if you could merit it, Christ died without cause. I mean there's no reason for Christ to die if anyway so so, we're talking about stewards of the gospel, let's go back and let me read, or I'll never finish this passage. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how? The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, which obviously is the Old Testament, okay as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs now again, remember in the book of Acts that's um, a big thing in in the Acts fifteen uh, for the sake of time, but in Acts fifteen the Jerusalem council meets and and that 's what they 're struggling with i 've mentioned that before they 're struggling because all the apostles that went out and preaching the gospel to start with were Jews, and then all of a sudden Gentiles start getting saved peter Peter leads some Gentiles to the Lord, and of course Paul becomes an apostle to the Gentiles, and all these all these uh Stories of Gentiles being saved and the Jews are wondering, is God really saving the Gentiles? So, so they get together and they have this theological debate. Is God saving the Gentiles? Is the gospel of Christ for the Gentiles? And of course, you know it is. It's for the world and that's what they decided. And um, I, I tell you what, since we're here, I, there's no way I'm going to finish all this. So, so <laughs> I just give up now. Go, go, look about, go back to Acts 15. This is awesome. I think I quoted this last week, the week before. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. It, it, this is... Uh, and though Paul didn't speak at this, because Paul was still a... Boy, he was a rod, a lightning rod of controversy when Acts 15 took place. But um, So he didn't speak at the Jerusalem council, but Peter did. But... Um, Look at verse um, verse ten. Um, this I think this is Peter speaking. Well, I know it is. Uh, look at verse eight. Let me start at verse eight. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. See, Peter saw that. He saw, he saw people saved. He saw people born again. Peter writes about this in the sense of the, theolo- the theology of this in, in 1 Peter 1. Uh, in 1 Peter, he talks a lot about the new birth. And what he's saying is, God saved Jews... You know, we, we saw that happen at Pentecost. We saw 3,000 people get saved at Pentecost. So he, he had a record of Jews being transformed by the grace of God. But he went to some Gentiles. And he saw them get saved. The same power, the same transformation. That's what he's talking about. So what the Spirit did for the Jews, I saw, Peter's talking, I saw God do for the Gentiles. Now folks, this is still true. Anybody, anywhere can hear the gospel and be saved. That's what this promise is, right? And and it goes all the way back to, to Pentecost. And we talked about that the other day on Wednesday night Bible study. Every nation, every nation was represented at Pentecost. It says every tongue on the face of the earth heard the gospel. At Pentecost. So it reversed the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, God scattered the nations and said, I'm abandoning you. I'm going to pick Israel. I'm going to make my own people. Then all of a sudden, in one event, at one sermon, people from all over the known world, all the languages on the face of the earth, hear the gospel. And so now they have the gospel message to take in every language. So all that's part of the book of Acts. Well, then, So Peter says... So he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Obeying the law. What they were saying is, okay, you may have faith, but if you don't become a Jew, you're not going to be saved. And look what he says. But we believe, are you looking at Verse 11. Now, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. How are people saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, before I move on, who, who's responsible for the grace, the message of the grace of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I know we are as individuals. But what's the institution? What what did God put on this earth? It began at Pentecost. That's that's a steward that's that's to hold and protect the truth of the grace of God. It's the church. It's the church. It's us. It's us filled with the Holy Spirit. We're the ones that are to be protecting this message and preaching this message. Go back to Ephesians three. Says this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Verse six. Fellow heirs, inheritance. Uh, one of the great already in theology up at this time in the New Testament, they knew that as that one of the things God did when He saved. First of all, when He saved the Jews, the gospel was for the Jews first, then Gentiles. But when he saved people, not only did he, you know, he, saved, he justified them, judicially, they were, they were not guilty, all those things, but he adopted them as adopted children. They were aliens, but he adopted them. Well, the adoption in the world that they were in remind, if you were adopted, you were an heir now. Okay? So this word was this, this family word was used to remind people that not only are you saved from hell. But now you've been adopted and now the riches of Christ are yours. There's an inheritance. And and of course Paul's arguing that part of grace is this doctrine of inheritance and so Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members, look what he says, members of the same body. Now, interesting enough that uh, there were Hundreds of churches start, sorry, there were hundreds of churches that started from the church at Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was, one of the words they would use for Ephesus was called a city state. It doesn't matter what they said about it. But, and it was the largest city, the largest church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I read, it said there was, by foot you could reach Two hundred and forty different communities by walking, so so there were at least two hundred and forty different places the gospel could go. You could walk there and share the gospel, share the grace of God. So the church at Ephesus, and if you study a little history, of church, they did that. They they were faithful. To that matter of fact, the Bible says the whole part of the world, all of Asia, heard the gospel because of people at Ephesus. So they did go. And all these people that are hearing the gospel are Gentiles, so Paul says they're fellow heirs, members of the same body. And talking about us, that's the church. That's what he's arguing there. Of course, we know we're all most of us are all Gentiles. I mean, but he, just as they're members of the same body, when you got saved, you know, universally God put you in His eternal church body, but you are placed. You are supposed to join a local body. So we're all together in one body. That, that's where you are supposed to be. As part of, part of being saved by grace, you become members of the same body. And that's true eternally, but it's supposed to be applicable locally. You're, you need to be a member of a body. That, that's exactly what this is apply, implying. And he says, in partakers uh, of the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, and then he goes on to talk about that. Jump down to chapter 4. Let me just read this real quick. He says, "I therefore, uh, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called." Okay, so, one of those would be is that you're a, you're a steward of God's saving grace, and and then all the things that God does in saving people by grace, and. So you're you're part of that responsibility. A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, a fruit of the Spirit isn't eagerness, but what you're eager to do is a fruit of the Spirit. Eager. I like that word. The ESV reads, so, so you're, you're, you know, walk worthy of the calling, meekness and gentle humility, all that. Then he says, eager, Eager could be. It's translated in uh, Luke one the same word, but sometimes the translators would translate a little bit different. Same word. Make haste in Luke one. Second Timothy two said the same words translated. Do your best. New King James says be studious. So it's something that you're serious about. You know, it's you're something you're, uh, um, you're diligent to do. I mean, you're going to do it and you're going to do it well. So he says, so uh, bearing with one another in love, okay? Bearing with one another in love. He's going to talk later about that too, forgiving one another. Eager to maintain... Uh, Just for a second, the word "maintain" is is the word for guard. It was used in the common Roman world for guarding, eager to guard, eager to watch over, eager to handle. You know, so protect. You, you, you care about this. So he says, look what he says. So if you're saved, you are in the God's church, universal, but you're supposed to be in the church locally, which is called the body of Christ, okay? Household, whatever, you know, the building, the bride, whatever. So body, So you're in it. So you're eager as a saved person. You're walking worthy. You're eager to guard or to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. All of us heard the gospel, the hope of our salvation. It's, it was the same hope, the same call, the same gospel call, the same call of conviction. All, we all had the same experience. So we're maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, not only is salvation the free gift of God and not only is Christ the only way. There is incredible unity when folks get saved and get together in one church in one local church when they gather together as a local body. There's incredible unity. That's what Paul's arguing here. And one of, the, one of the responsibilities as stewards of God's grace is keeping this unity. Being eager to maintain unity. But not just unity in us arguing over little insignificant things or gossiping about things we ought not gossip about, but we're unified about the things we know to be true, about doctrine, and about obeying biblical truth when it comes to the work of the church, we're united, or we're to be united in those things. And here's another thing that unites us. And Paul uses this in the book of Ephesians. The God that saved me and the God that saved Paul and the power that God released to save Paul and the power that God released to save me is the same power he used to save you in the same power that transformed Paul in regeneration is the same God that regenerates you this is why the bible would call this our common salvation so see when you can't convince me that when God saves a sinner that he doesn't change their life you can't convince me of that because he did it for me, but also when I read the New Testament, he did it for these guys, and that's been part of Paul's argument to begin with he was saved he was saving the Gentiles in the same way he was saving the Jews. he was transforming their lives. Paul saw it and and Peter saw it, so he he says, just one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given now look. So it's, it's, it's all the same. But then he tells us something that's a little bit different. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led host of captives and gave gifts to men. And he's using a phrase uh, that when soldiers would conquer an enemy, they would... The leader, the captain, king, whoever that was leading the army would distribute the spoils amongst his his soldiers. Well, Christ has conquered, and that's the symbolism here. He's gone on his throne, and when he went to heaven, ten days later, Pentecost happened. But not only did Pentecost happen, when anybody gets saved, he gifts them as part of his kingdom. He gifts them. So when he saves You, when He saved you from your sins as a soldier, as a child, whatever you want to call, He gifted you based on how He measured out the grace He wanted to give you. Not the grace of salvation, the gifts. He decided what you're going to be responsible for in the body. He distributed, He measured that out to you. So all of us have gifts, at least one gift, but they're all different gifts, and the measure is different. Some may have three major gifts; somebody may have one major gift. But it's been measured by Christ, and this is why Paul would argue. Also, we can't boast in our gifts because he's calling them grace gifts. So all of us not only are responsible as in, to be in the body. Well, we're through. We're, I know I'm out of time. This is a very good introduction. You're not, you didn't think that was funny? Some of you look shocked. Uh, not, only, not only is it a gift, but Christ measures that gift. But now here's something. It goes all the way back to where we started in chapter 3 about being stewards of the mysteries of God. When God saved me and He saved you, He did We're saved the same way He saves everybody else. But in that, he gave you gifts. And we know that's true because he ascended. He won the victory, and he ascended back to the throne. That's when he he has the authority to give gifts. So when you got saved, he gave you gifts. And those gifts are to be used in the body. So not only are you a steward of the message of grace, salvation, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, you're steward of it, but also you're a steward of the gifts God's given you. And the Bible tells you where you're supposed to use the gifts. And you can guess where that is. Where is it? In the church. <laughs> and it says, this is how, goes back to the word building up. It's the word edify. It's how, oko house domeo, house builder. So you edify the body by using your gifts. Now here's all that say this. Part of being a steward of God's grace is using your gifts in the body. Not not the fruits of being saved. We all have that. Fruit of the Spirit is love. joy. We all have that. This is using spiritual gifts in the body for the building up of the body of Christ. That is our responsibility. That is part of the work of grace is we are not just attending church. We are the church. We're part of the body. Amen? So how it happens, let's stand together. If Margaret Ann was here, you know, Margaret Ann, she watches me do my Bible study on Fridays, and I'll get through. Of course, Robbie did it for me Friday. But Margaret Ann, I'll, I'll get through, and she'll come in and she'll say, Yay, Papa! You, he, she'll say, You did it! So, I didn't know if I was going to do it or not, but I did it today, that's good. I made it. I made it because I'm standing on. They moved my mat. I have a mat for for comfort. You know, one of those cushion mats. Walter took it away. Said I couldn't preach long, so I put, I put it back. Anyway, God's good, isn't He? I love being saved. Ain't nothing like it. We win, don't we? I can I ask you a question? Will God demand payment twice if Jesus paid it in full? Are you saved by grace or works? Grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the work of the church of which we are an important part of this body. God, I pray that we'll be serious about our stewardship of that grace. Lord, I pray that we'll be serious about membership in the body. And building up the body of Christ will be Part of our responsibility. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and mercy. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.